Broadcasting live to the world now, it's Sheila Zelensky. This is a very sinister Luciferian eugenics plan. These spineless weasels preach what people want to hear. They replace repentance with dreams of the good life. Mindless minions. Dying daily, taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. as dark as I know it looks out there the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom and it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission it's Sheila Zelensky Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, end time watchwoman, Sheila Zelensky. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sheila Zelensky Show. Thank you for tuning into the broadcast tonight, folks. I broadcast Monday to Friday, that's weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Worldwide Christian Radio. And do not forget to sign up for my podcast. Go to WeekendVigilante.com and click on that big pink button on the right-hand side that says Sheila's Podcast. Sign up and you can listen to all the podcasts. Folks, we have a very powerful program tonight. Joining us is my guest, Dr. Chuck Baldwin. He is a prolific writer, renowned conservative pastor, and highly acclaimed radio talk show host. He was the Constitution Party's presidential candidate for the 2008 election. He strongly opposes the New World Order, the UN, the Patriot Act, assaults on individual liberties in general. He is very much a proponent of homeschooling and, of course, the right to bear arms. And I'll tell you what, he's my kind of guy. He is a man of God on a mission, and he's a one-two punch to these Luciferian elites. Dr. Chuck Baldwin, welcome to the program tonight, sir. Well, thank you very much, Phil. It's great to be with you again. Well, Chuck, first of all, congratulations on 40 years of preaching the gospel. Oh, thank you very much. That is yeah, something. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a milestone. It's, it's hard to believe. It's, it's been 40 years. Well, it's been 40 good ones, though, and many more. Well, Chuck, you recently wrote an article, and that's why I really felt compelled to have you come and weigh in on this, because this is something that people are touching on it, but not a lot of people are really developing this idea of the police state that's developed. Where I want to start with, I mean, people have absolutely no idea really how to lawfully, I think that's the key word, and peacefully protect themselves against police overreach and abuse, do they? No, they really don't. Uh, Unfortunately, there's very few people that are teaching this anymore. But the Constitution gives us as citizens uh, the, you know, tremendous protection under the law. Uh, the, the founders were, I think, brilliant in the way they crafted the Constitution and the Bill of Rights to go along with it 
in order to protect the the rights and and the responsibilities of the citizenry. Unfortunately, over the last several decades, constitutional law has not been taught even in law school. Uh, it's it's almost it's almost lost yeah. to the uh, the general public. And my son, who's a constitutional attorney, you know, has done a lot of research into this. He used to be a, a felony prosecutor for several years. He he tried hundreds of cases. Now he's a criminal defense attorney. So we've seen both sides of the criminal justice system. And I asked him if he would come to Liberty Fellowship one night and bring a presentation on how to respond to police contacts. You know, again, and you used the words, and I'm glad you did, lawfully and peacefully. And so he he went through a, a over an hour long presentation, uh, complete with some really great slides with information for the people to see on exactly what are the legal steps to go through whenever you are pulled over by a police officer, for example, for speeding or for another traffic violation or in any other contact that you would have with a police officer. What to do, what not to do. And that old saying that we get from Miranda is, you know, anything you say can or will be used against you in a court of law. And that's not just a saying, Sheila. That is absolutely a fact. <laughs> yeah. Anything you say, anything you say to a police officer can be used against you in court prosecution. It's it's critically important that the citizenry understand how to react, what to say, what to do, what not to do, in order to protect themselves. And this video, I think, is a fantastic tool in this regard. Well, and you know, one of the stunning things to me, and I find this mind-numbing, you know, of course, we grew up with this notion that police are your friend, they're there to protect and serve, you can trust the police. But what's stunning to me, Chuck, is the police's ignorance of the Constitution, and yet many police officers willingly ignore and violate the Constitution. I mean, how is this happening that they can just willfully, blatantly ignore and violate the Constitution? Yeah, it, it goes back to the training. Ever since the Department of Homeland Security was invented, the federal government has, for the most part, taken over police training. They supply the tactics, the strategies, the plans, the manuals, and many times the instructors. And there's nothing in the training that respects constitutional law. Uh, it, it's, it's completely changed from what it was many, many years ago. You know, you, you mentioned about how we grew up, those of us that grew up, um, you know, say 40, 50 years ago, <clears throat> and we understood the, you know, the role of the police officer, we respected the police officer, and rightly so. And, and the police understood their role. They, they had a, a much, uh, <clears throat> can I use the word, gentler approach to policing. You know, they, they didn't see themselves as aggressors. Uh, against uh, a guilty uh, citizenry, you know, they they were there to protect and serve. That was their motto, and they pretty much, except with certain exceptions, abided by that. But but again, the the system has changed. It, it you know I think most of our police officers are in their hearts, you know, decent, morally upright people. I, I don't think that they're they're bent on deliberately violating the constitutional rights of the people in the community where they live you know but but they're not trained and they don't have it they never got it in school they probably didn't get it from their parents 
They didn't get it in the churches they attended, and they're not getting it in the police academies and in the extended training that they get. And and they have taken on a more militaristic approach to policing. Uh, the Department of Defense supplies the police departments and sheriff's offices with all kinds of military-grade equipment, ammunition, <clears throat> helicopters, high-tech surveillance systems, tanks, armored carriers, et cetera, et cetera. So it's almost like they're a quasi-military unit, and that's the philosophy that they're trained under. So I think what we have to understand is the system itself is what's causing this rise in a police state mentality. You mentioned respect, and American citizens are not the enemy, and that's what I find, you know, again, you mentioned that years ago, I think in the old days, policemen were sort of universally taught to not only respect the Constitution, but the rights of the individual citizen. And of course, now you're saying, you know, you've got these MRAPs and military-grade vehicles, armored tanks, and, you know, I mean, this very draconian militarized police, and you look at the looming martial law, I mean, it's really accelerating very fast, though. Does that surprise you at the acceleration of all of this? No, it really doesn't. I, I think that um, it's only natural that that's the way it would it would go. It's going to be up to the people to um, to rise to the occasion and recognize the constitutionality or unconstitutionality of, of police conduct and and really bring you know sense and sanity back to their local communities you know it, we can't expect that our politicians are going to do this you know, and that's that's a really a bad mistake to think that you know well these people we elect you know I just got to go to work and you know they're going to no you know, we the people are the ultimate guardians of our liberty. And if we're not willing to do it, then, you know, we really can't complain about, you know, what's happening. <clears throat> it's one thing to say, well, look at all this bad stuff that's happening with, with the police agencies and, you know, look how uh, militaristic they're becoming, you know, and, and yeah, okay, so what are you going to do about it? Well, one of the things that every citizen can do is learn their individual rights and responsibilities under the law, under the Constitution, respectfully, not belligerently, not disrespectfully, but but very respectfully, calmly, and and confidently learn your rights under the Constitution, know how to exercise those rights out in the public, and when these occasions come about, be sure that you conduct yourself under the law and hold the police officer accountable to the laws of the land that he has sworn to uphold. And, and then, of course, if there's a need to use the court system to bring accountability back to whatever the agency might be, then we have to use that. So there, there's a lot of things we can do. Tim's video goes into these things quite extensively, and I'm happy to report, Sheila, that it's hard for us to keep up with the orders. Uh, so many people around the country are ordering them. They wow. have a hard time keeping them and, and getting them out expeditiously. So, you know, a lot of people realize the need for this, and they're 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 going to be using it. I I learned a lot. You know, Tim, as my son, you know, you think, well, as my son, I'm his dad. I know more than he does. Well, I do in some ways, <laughs> but in some ways, he knows more than I do. And when it comes to the the finer points of the law, Tim is an expert, and uh, he really does a great job of bringing out these issues in this DVD. 
Well, not only is your son a brilliant constitutional lawyer, but the way you guys presented the information in your... Now, you did a collaboration on guns with your son and really talked about gun rights, didn't you? Right. Yeah, we wrote a book, To Keep or Not to Keep, Why Christians Should Not Give Up Their Guns. And we went into both the Old and the New Testament. That was a pretty much a, a, a theological discussion geared primarily to pastors and Christians. And the motivation for that was back whenever, I think it was in 2011, whenever Obama and Feinstein tried to bring about the uh, semi-automatic gun ban. And I noticed that the pastors and churches across the country were saying nothing, absolutely nothing. Or they were actually telling their congregations, well, if the government says to turn in your guns, that's what we have to do, reporting yeah. 13 and all that nonsense. And so, you know, I got with Tim, and I said, Tim, we got to, you know, we got to rebut this. We got to, we got to bring some information to the Christian community, help them understand that the Bible does not teach that they should surrender their arms, you know, in the face of a would-be tyrant. And so we, we, we put together a, a manual on, uh, on the Bible showing, I mean, in no uncertain terms, absolutely does the Bible not require God's people to surrender their firearms. And so for Christian people that, you know, that they know that that's right instinctively. I had so many people that have written me and said, Chuck, I, I always knew this instinctively in my gut. I knew it was true, but I didn't know how to prove it scripturally. And I have all these Christian friends and these preachers that are telling me, if the government tells you to surrender your guns, we've got to do it. The Bible says so. And I didn't know how to rebut it from a biblical point of view. So now they have the scripture. Now they have the spiritual and scriptural foundation that they can stand on that that the principle of self-defense that God gave to us in natural law and in revealed law. Well, and I think the word you mentioned there that really boils my blood is it's crickets chirping in the pulpit about the 501c3. Romans 13 is butchered. You know that. You wrote a book about it. And it just seems like today it's so frustrating how many people do butcher the scripture and they twist scripture to suit themselves. Hitler would have salivated at the way they butcher Romans 13, wouldn't he? Well, actually, actually he... He was one of the ones who uh, popularized this fallacious into the history of Germany. And and when you study the church history of Germany during that period, you'll find that the propaganda ministry of of the Nazi political machine would supply uh, Sunday school lessons. They would supply preaching material, sermon material to the pastors and churches of Germany in which they would elaborate that interpretation of Romans chapter 13. So, I mean, that was actually an official part of the uh, of Nazi schooling during that period of time. And the churches and the pastors of Germany, you know, they, they accepted it, they regurgitated it among the congregations, and it became the accepted, accepted dogma among the Christian population of Germany. That's one of the reasons why Hitler was able to achieve such popularity uh, within the Christian community because of the distortion that they taught in Romans chapter 13. And this was in direct collaboration with the Nazi government. So, I mean, so what the churches in America are doing today is absolutely um, part and parcel with what they did in Nazi Germany. I mean, yes. they're not inventing it here. They're simply regurgitating it. They taught it in the seminaries, and, you know, in the, in the schools, the Bible colleges, universities. I was taught it. 
you know, I I had to I had to learn these things for myself. I had to research for myself, think for myself, study for myself, in order to come to the proper understanding of this particular truth. And and you know, many pastors they, you know, they just accept what they're taught. They they accept what they're what what you know what they hear, and they don't do their in their own independent research and investigation. And so they're just doing what they what they always do, regurgitate what they've been taught. So that that's a lot of the problem, but it's it's really if you look at it, the comparison is is really striking, because it is the same. It is the exact same interpretation that was used in Nazi Germany that we are hearing today. Absolutely agree, and also the militarization of federal bureaucracies. That's straight out of Nazi Germany. I remember when you were saying on an interview we did a few years back when you were a. 501c3 pastor you'd get all these letters and have to jump through hoops you know you take the tax exempt non-profit organization status you take the rules with it really you know we're not dealing with ignorant pastors we are dealing with deliberately disobedient pastors they're purposely choosing to remain silent and i think that's the really abhorrent part of all this because let's face it the church has morphed into this very seeker friendly let's not offend anybody let's be tolerant let's all coexist let's join hand sing kumbaya well you know the world morphs into debauchery it really is quite staggering what has happened to the churches in the west isn't it yeah it is yeah i think the one-two punch that neutered the church in america was the 501c3 taxes and status and then the and the false interpretation of romans 13. those two things i believe are are the one-two punch that just laid the church unconscious and dormant on the mat uh and to the point that now the church is basically irrelevant to uh to being the salt of, of the earth as we're supposed to be to you know, to retard some of these draconian policies by our should-be civil servants. Um, so I think that the 501c3 is a, is a big problem. As you know, that's why I started the Liberty Church Project, and I'm going around the country now helping people get out of the 501c3, helping pastors get out of the 501c3. You know, we're, we're just, you know, really busy with that, and, and I'm excited about that part of what we're doing. Um, yeah, couple couple that with the Romans 13 misinterpretation, and the churches are for the most part just neutered. They're just they're just not the you know the the resistance to evil that they're supposed to be. Well, it was Charles Finney who said something really interesting. He said, you know, when the moral imperative is so bad, the churches are responsible for it. And he was talking about when society is absolutely debaucherous. The pulpit is responsible for it. And I really agree because even the, the so-called pastors that responded to you and relegated you to the depths of the dams essentially because of the fact that you you standing for Romans 13 and its proper interpretation. I mean, that really must have been, and I guess the even stunning part of it was it didn't even really surprise you. That's even the most unbelievable part of it. It didn't surprise you that these so-called pastors were writing you letters, oh, yeah, it's fine for them to kick my door and rape my wife. I mean, you you must have had a shake-your-head moment. Well, yeah, at, at first I did. You know, when, when I first started hearing from some of these men, I, I didn't realize how 
in-depth and pervasive this fallacy was. I, and so, yeah, I have to admit that it, at the beginning it it did surprise me. It doesn't anymore now that I've now that I've seen this for a few years and I've and I've talked to these men and I've heard from them. Almost nothing they say surprises me anymore. But th- the positive thing is that more and more people are beginning to awaken and more and more people are deciding, you know what, if my pastor won't take a stand and I'm tired of being the one person in the church that everybody thinks is a nut, you know, because I, I believe these things and I know these things to be true and people look at me like I'm a man from Mars, you know, and if my pastor is not going to preach the truth, and if the congregation isn't interested in hearing the truth, well, then you know what? I'm going to find a guy who will, or I'll stay home and I'll, you know, I'll turn into a pastor that, you know, will feed me online the truth. You know, we have people that watch our online services every Sunday afternoon all over all over the country. Some of them meet together in small groups in their living rooms, in community centers. They watch us. You know, they they discuss you know the the material. You know, they they pray. They you know they have fellowship with each other. You know, I, I really think that the, the mainstream church in America is dying. And, and given a few uh, decades, I think the mainstream church in America is going to be totally dead. What God is doing, I believe, is raising up non-establishment, non-traditional churches, fellowships, groups of believers that are going to be the future of God's work in America. You know, the way it is in China, let me give you just, just an interesting analogy here. In China, of course, the government is communistic, it's oppressive against Christianity, and only the state-approved churches are are endorsed. The the true church in China is an underground church. It is a it's an illegal church. You know, they they hide many times their services. They they do not meet in the open. And yet they are growing so fast that a recent report just came out a few months ago that said in just a few short years, I can't remember, six, eight years, something like that, there's going to be more Christians in China than in America. Wow. That'll that'll be the first time since America became a nation that that's true. And think about it. Here in America, the church is willingly accepting the, the rule of Caesar over it but in china the church is defying the caesar's grasp even willing to risk imprisonment persecution and death to maintain the autonomy and independence of the church and they're growing like crazy what's happening in america we've accepted the grip of caesar and the church is dying so i think god is going to have to bring out of the church a an independent if you want to say underground church, like in China, not bound by Caesar, not controlled by Caesar, where Christ is Lord over the church. And I think through that independent, um, non-establishment fellowship of believers is where God's work is going to come from in the future in this country. 
Well, I absolutely agree because when I look at the situation with these mega churches, you know, Rick Chrislam Warren and Howdy Doody over there, Mr. I call him Filthy Lucre Lakewood. I mean, it's quite stunning. You have these pastors that, in their own words, not mine, will not preach on sin. They don't want to talk about repentance at a time where we really do see a lot of these other abuses concurrent to that. I mean, nowadays, I mean, Chuck, when you look at the police that are running rough shot over at citizenry and people's lives are in jeopardy you see these videos that get uploaded and go viral of these awful abuses and one of the things i think is just so timely about this video and something you and tim have said and it's so true is a constitutionally knowledgeable citizenry really is the very best defense against police abuse and i really think if citizens truly understood their constitutional rights and they actually acted upon them i think that these local police agencies would find out in a hurry that you know they better be the <laughs> peace officers are supposed to be in a hurry wouldn't they right i mean you know really again like i said earlier we can't blame you know the the officers we, it's really the ultimate blame rests with us we the people we have always been the the true guardians of liberty i mean that's the way that god that's the way really god intended it to be and it's the way our constitution was set up. It was it was demands that the individual citizen and the citizens of a community be the custodians of liberty in that community. And you cannot do that if you're ignorant of the constitution. If you're not willing to personally act upon the constitution, you can't blame the, the you know the, the the public servants. They say, well, they don't know the constitution. Well, do I know the constitution? You know, well, they're not behaving constitutionally. Well, am I behaving constitutionally? You know, if, if the people as a whole understood the do's and don'ts, the ins and outs, the, the rights and wrongs of constitutionality regarding public behavior and, and, and the laws regarding policing and, and, and so forth in their communities, it wouldn't take a real long time for the, the community leaders to, to recognize their boundaries under the law, under the Constitution, and that the people of those communities respected those boundaries, insisted that the police respected those boundaries, and it would change the entire culture of the community. But, you know, we have to go about it in the right spirit. You know, we, we, can't, we can't be a bunch of belligerent hotheads, you know, that, that are just foaming at the mouth looking for trouble. You know, that's not going to work. Right. All that does is fuel the fire and it makes things worse. You know, we have the law, we have the Constitution, we have the Bill of Rights, everything is in place. All we need to do is learn what those laws are, what those duties and responsibilities are, act on those appropriately, confidently, calmly, judiciously, and, and if we would do that as a community, I think for the most part, calm and order would be restored back to the individual communities. It would be a little bit harder, of course, in the, in the huge metropolitan areas uh, that have become almost miniature police states in and of themselves. So I, I freely admit that in the larger cities it's going to be a, more of a challenge, although I think it still can be done. But in the average-sized communities, you know, it, I, it, this is something that we could do that could really make a positive difference in our communities and, again, promoting the video, I mean, Tim, I think, just does a great job of laying this out 
of, of what we can do and what we should be doing and and the and the expected result and and the, and the you know the good things that can happen when we know the law well and i think you know despite what you hear from these pundits about the corruption of our legal system and police system i mean there still is a plethora of attorneys out there who really do care about constitutional law and and their practice and how it applies to the public and not every attorney is a, an enemy of freedom and i think people have to kind of understand that there are people that do still, you know, there's still public defenders across the nation that really do have a, a real construct of civil liberties, don't they? They really are. You know, that's, that's something that I, you know, I'm, I'm saddened by when I hear my fellow patriots talk about lawyers in general and just broad brush them, you know, as if every single attorney is their enemy and trying to take away their rights and a slave of the state, et cetera. And that's just not true. There are still uh, thousands of attorneys out there, uh, and some are not Republicans. And in some cases, when it comes to civil rights and the Fourth Amendment and so forth, uh, some of the Democrat lawyers are actually better than Republican lawyers. And we, you know, we got to start stere- stop stereotyping lawyers and just castigating all of them into the regions of the dam because they're an attorney. When the fact is. That there are many, many of them, my son included, who are in the trenches every day. I mean, they're in the courtroom every day defending the Constitution, defending the rights of the citizenry, standing up for the rule of law, doing their very best to be that barrier against the overreach of government, trying to protect the individual liberties of the people in their communities. And, you know, I mean, we need to understand that the law. It is universal, that, and by that I mean it applies to the to the government and its representatives as much as it does to the citizenry. And whenever you find these lawyers out there that are really fighting for us, you know we need to we need to really be thankful for these guys and gals, and understand that there are, there is a small army of them still out. And we would we would have already been enslaved. I mean, come on, let's face it. Yes. If it wasn't for you know, some of these uh, attorneys in the courtrooms and some of these cases that they've won and, and some of the way they've made the, the government back up because of the overreach that they had in a given case, but then they had to back up because of the of the law that was brought into the courtroom and the judge ruled in favor of the law, as, as they all should. You know, so, you know, Tim brings this out too, and, and to understand that, you know, that yeah, thing, things are not going well for us right now. I mean, you know, we're in a mode where, you know, a police state is growing and oppressive government seems to be growing. But you know what? It's not over yet, and for and, and people shouldn't think that it is. It's it's not over. There's still many many things that we can do to save our republic and to restore the constitution in this country. I absolutely agree. Chuck, I know you have to run, but please do give out your website and tell people where people can pick up, which I highly recommend everyone get a copy of this DVD that Tim put together. And of course, Tim will be joining us momentarily on the other side of the break. But do give out your website, Chuck. Thanks, Sheila. Uh, just go to my website. It's it's ChuckBaldwinLive.com. Chuck Baldwin B-A-L-D-W-I-N, ChuckBaldwinLive.com. 
They can also find the the book that we talked about, To Keep or Not to Keep, Why Christians Should Not Give Up Their Guns, the book that Tim and I wrote on Romans 13, The True Meaning of Submission, all that material, and the video that you just mentioned regarding police contacts, how to respond. Uh, that's all on the website. Again, ChuckBaldwinLive.com. Well, Chuck, I thank you so much for that. I thank you for all you do, especially in regards to our liberties and freedoms. And again, 40 years of incredible devotion to Jesus Christ. You can't get a better career than that, in my opinion. Thanks again for coming on, Chuck. Thank you, Sheila, very much. Always good to be with you. Thank you so much, Chuck. Folks, that was Chuck Baldwin. His information is linked there at weekendvigilante.com chuckbaldwinlive.com we'll be back with his son tim baldwin right after the break stick around don't go anywhere back after the break freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction police are too tough every day in america police cross the line and abuse citizens every day in america police get away with that everything those cops did they've done to someone else when there were no video cameras rolling. They've done it and they've gotten away with it. They know just how much assault and battery their department will let them commit. They know just how many false arrests their department will let them do. They know just how much latitude their department gives them on abusing citizens. They do it because they know they can. They do it because they know, they know they will get away with it. None of the officers who cross the line will be disciplined in any way. None of them will be charged with the assaults and batteries that they committed. None of them will be charged with the false arrests. None of them will lose a day's pay. The the police department doesn't need an investigation to figure out what happened. The department has already said the officers acted appropriately. Case closed. That's it. The American police have once again gotten away with another crime against the American people they are sworn to serve and protect. Freedom-fighting patriots believe quite correctly that it is their First Amendment right to film the police in public. And yet they, like so many across this country, are being told by law enforcement that they do not have the right to film the police. America, if we can't keep an eye on the police, how can we keep them accountable to the people they are sworn to serve and protect? We need an end to this East Germany-like infringement on our inherent right to free speech. You can film the police in public. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome back from the break. My next guest is Chuck Baldwin's son, Tim Baldwin, criminal defense attorney, constitutional lawyer. Tim has an incredible background with highly impressive credentials. He's authored books with his dad, including To Keep or Not to Keep, Why Christians Should Not Give Up Their Guns. And he joins me today in this segment to talk about an incredible DVD that he's put together, Police Contact, How to Respond. Tim, welcome to the program. It's an honor. Thank you very much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. 
In light of the very draconian police state climate that we all live in today, Tim, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is that people become familiar with their constitutional rights and responsibilities. And if enough of American people would learn these constitutional principles, they could stem the growing tide of unconstitutional conduct by our public servants, particularly those in law enforcement. Citizen contacts with police are really becoming more and more ubiquitous. You see these videos of people getting tromped and even beaten to death by these rogue police. It's really growing more and more hostile out there, isn't it? Well, there's certainly more aggressive tactics um, today, I think, that um, than there probably used to be, or at least we are becoming more aware of it uh, due to the uh, cell phones being in everybody's hands and, and media actually starting to pay more attention to it. So uh, I, I think that given the climate, yeah, I think it's more and more important today that we understand uh, the basic issues that occur whenever a, a police officer makes contact with you. Well, and sadly, the vast majority of the American people, they have no idea how to lawfully and peacefully protect themselves against police overreach and abuse. And sadder, I think, is the fact that the average police officer, even they have but rudimentary knowledge of the law. And in fact, many of the police officers out there are willingly ignoring and violating the constitutional limitations concerning their conduct with the public, don't they? Well, I, I think that many officers um, are very, uh, you, could, you could use the word ignorant. I mean, they, they, some of them have a very a basic understanding of the, the ideas of probable cause. But when it comes to um, really respecting that idea and that rule of law, many of them do ignore it. And they will push the outer limits as far as they possibly can go. And there are ways that they're trained to do this. And uh, unfortunately, many people don't recognize these tactics that they use. And so people become vulnerable uh, to police abuse um, from an officer who basically just has the upper hand, the advantage to, a, to an ignorant population. I mean, you're familiar with courtroom scenarios and you hear judges all the time, Tim, say, I don't allow the Constitution in my courtroom. Well, then they should stand down. They violated their oath. And there's no single governing official in this country. America's supreme law does not rest with any man, any group of men. It doesn't rest with the president, the Congress, the Supreme Court. In America, the U.S. Constitution is the supreme law of the land. And under the laws, every governing official publicly promises to submit to the Constitution of the United States. And do you think people understand the significance of this distinction here, Tim? Well, I, I don't know if they really understand it or not. I, I think that the, the system, the judicial system in, in most places, um, and I've, I've practiced in Florida and Alabama and in uh, Montana and other jurisdictions as well on a limited basis, but um, both as a prosecutor and as a defense attorney. And um, my, my perception of the problem is that in many instances, the system itself really shelters and isolates police officers from any sort of liability regarding their intentional or, should I say, maybe a gross negligent mistreatment of either people or the rules of law under the Constitution. And so when someone, first of all, in a criminal case, it's if someone is being prosecuted and they challenge the way evidence was um, collected um, through a motion to suppress, or if they challenge the way um, the police officers handled the case and file motions to dismiss, you know, you're 
most of the time your relief that you get is simply suppressing evidence or maybe dismissing the case. But see, to a police officer, that really isn't a, a punishment. It's not really a deterrent so much because they know that, well, um, we'll just keep doing what we're doing and we'll, we'll get them later or something along that line. And so they, they don't have a whole lot of incentive to actually follow uh, their constraints under the constitutions that we have in state and federal levels. And so there is the other realm of, of this, which is civil actions. And the most common one that you see is, uh, you know, people following 1983 actions for violations of their, of their civil rights under federal law. Right. Um, there are other similar types of actions in state law, but so, but then the question, uh, the standard of proof that, that is required uh, many times is it becomes very, very difficult to hold police officers accountable for what happened. And, and, and also most people don't even know uh, what happens with those cases because most of the time they settle. And so it's very rare that you even get a case to go to a jury to actually see what happened and make, you know, for the jury to make a determination. And so the officers actually, I think, feel very sheltered and very protected by the prosecutors and somewhat by the judges because many times the judges will believe the officers over the citizen at, at any point, at any time. And so, they, again, it's this, it's this matter of incentive uh, to follow the Constitution. And, and my perspective is and perception is that there's really just there's not a lot of incentive here. You know, you and I were born in the 70s and we were taught that the policeman is always your friend. He can be trusted, protect and serve. You know, you're taught that that person's looking out for your best interest. However, it's an absolute fact today that local policing is not what it used to be because in the old days, policemen were almost universally taught to respect both the individual citizen and the Constitution. But that's really not the way it is today, is it? Well, I mean, I don't know what happened before me. I mean, I, you know, again, I think a lot of this stuff is back in the days when maybe we were very young or, or whenever our parents were growing up and their grand and their parents, I don't know if people were really paying much attention to it. I think that uh, to a large degree, at least it, from what I can tell in my practice and what I've seen is that the police officers are able to um, do things to a segment of society that most people really aren't able to see. And particularly, um, you know, the poorer classes of society um, get really the, the worst part of this. Uh, they get the brunt of it because they don't have a lot of political power to, to make any sort of changes. They don't really have a voice. And a lot of them are not really credible to a lot of people in society. And so those are the people that really get targeted for this kind of treatment. And so did that happen in the past? I, I venture to say it probably did. Um, how much of it? I don't know. But to me, it certainly is a, a regular course of business, I think, today. And so for our generation, it's definitely something that we have to address. And people are becoming more aware of the issues um, that surround these kinds of situations. But I, I do believe that there is a trend upward. Uh, when I say upward, I mean there is more problems with police than there used to be. And it's something that I think that's going to have to be addressed uh, not only from a case-by-case -case basis like I'm able to do in court, but also from legislative, uh, from a legislative standpoint, a funding standpoint, a qualification standpoint, everything that, that touches the system itself needs to be addressed, I think. I agree. Well, in speaking of trends, there really is a 
trend of marginalizing and demonizing constitutionalists and libertarians, shutting everything down if when it comes to free speech. And it's it's really what the Nazis did in the build-up to World War II inside Germany, and it's how tyranny first starts. This is very tyrannical. Are you surprised at really, Tim, how seemingly tyrannical things are getting in America? Well, I... You know, I think that um, the things that you refer to um, are inherent dangers, inherent dangers in any sort of police power. And, and when again, when you go back to, one, is there an, an incentive to follow the Constitution? And then, two, what are the, what are the repercussions for officers who don't? Um, if, if you see that really there's no incentive and the re- repercussions are relatively nominal, then, yeah, it, it, it does lead to police state-style um, tactics and, and pressures on society that um, are, are tyrannical. They are um, very uh, statist in nature. They are very autocratic in nature. And, and so people suffer, and they don't even realize why they're suffering from this kind of heavy-handed approach to, uh, to policing. I mean, even with a small area, a small population that I live in, in, in Montana, you know, you would think that in the small areas like this, uh, you would have less problems with police, uh, you know, abusing their power and actually, I mean, using their power to to you know, gain personally or somehow uh, project onto to the people that they arrest and such um, political ideas and political pressuring of society. But it happens. I mean, it happens in the smallest of areas, and it's really surprising to see how officers are able to do this on a pretty regular basis without any real accountability internally from the offices that they work in, as well as from the court systems that are supposed to be serving as the check to un- unconstitutional actions. And then you have on top of that, uh, you know, defense attorneys who don't necessarily want to uh, go against the grain. They don't want to upset the, uh, the uh, police officers right. or the agencies or the judges or the prosecutors. I mean, you have this whole dynamic that goes on. And quite honestly, sometimes it's, it's very difficult to really obtain justice on these cases on, on a case-by-case basis, which means the people really got to know what they're looking for when they're out there on the street. Well, it's very disturbing when everybody's in cahoots with each other. And, you know, we know the system is um, certainly has its flaws for sure. And then, of course, with the influence of DHS is that local police agencies have become more and more militaristic in methodology and, and antagonistic in attitude, too. And American citizens are not enemy combatants here and police officers are not soldiers. And if you sort of combine the military mindset in this increasing militarization of domestic police it's really kind of this again emerging police state and that is really what's happening in front of our eyes i I agree with the the idea and the concept that police are becoming more militaristic Um, i do think and i do see them using military style tactics i do see them using equipment and and technology that really was designed for military use um the kind of surveillance that you would expect to see on you know, sniper operations, you, you see it used in police operations on a local level. Um, I, what I see on a, on a large scale as well is that police officers um, and prosecutors many times will um, try to hide evidence and try to sort of give you only a partial picture of what actually took place. And, of course, 
any good defense attorney will tell you that the more they know, the more they're able to help their clients and, and really obtain justice in the case. And, and so when you have officers and prosecutors who are attempting to, to cover uh, evidence or hide the things, the tactics that they were using or the procedures that they were using, these sorts of inherent, um, 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 inherent biases, if you will, it, it really creates a, a very serious problem for people who are being prosecuted by these agencies and offices. And so it, um, it really is a problem. And so the, the more you see it, the more you have to be concerned. And however people want to describe the phenomenons that we're seeing, I mean, there's all kinds of ways to describe these things. But the bottom line is I just think that officers, prosecutors, and, and to some degree judges are just they're complicit in willingly violating um, rights that people have under our Constitution. And that's why it's so and so very important that people know what those rights are and, of course, that we have people within the legal system who are willing to stand up and ensure those rights are protected. Absolutely, because as I said before, the average citizen has absolutely no idea really how to lawfully protect themselves from illegal police procedures. I mean, by lawfully, I mean constitutionally, and most citizens are woefully ignorant of their rights and protections under the Constitution. So, Tim, talk about this incredibly, I think, timely DVD you put together, what motivated it, and why this is very important for people to get this information. Well, um, for your audience's um, knowledge on the background of this, you know, I, I've, I've been a prosecutor, I've been a defense attorney. Um, I'm a, right now I, I work at the Public Defender's Office in the state of Montana. And so, I, you know, I've, my experience in these kinds of cases is pretty extensive. And so, of course, my dad knows my experience, and he said, well, it would be good if we can have a, a video uh, production on informing people of what their rights are, what to uh, look for in cases where police make contact with you, and what the law is that supports your what your rights are in these cases. So, um, so I thought it was a great idea, and I, of course, uh, willingly and gladly was able to do that. Um, so what I did is I prepared this uh, seminar for the congregation that my dad pastors in Kalispell, Montana, uh, Liberty Fellowship. And so I presented an hour-long seminar on what to do whenever police stop you, what the law is, how you should respond, what you shouldn't do, and to try to give this a very clear and decisive picture of what our rights are as citizens in this country. Well, and being informed of your legal rights and responsibilities is really empowering, too, isn't it? Because, I mean, that's what our founding fathers intended. You know, true power, true authority rests with the people under God and the Constitution. And I think that's important for people to understand. And how can we respect the law, Tim, if we don't even know and understand the law, right? Absolutely. Not, and not only that, but, you know, I, I get there are some people who critique me as being you know, antagonistic towards police. And, and, and I try to set them straight by saying I am not opposed to proper police power and proper police conduct. I am all for uh, if, if someone violates another person's rights, those persons need to be held accountable. They need to answer to, um, you know, the society and to those individuals that they harmed. And, and so I, I don't have any problem with that. The problem is, though, is that when officers know or perceive that the citizens don't know what their rights are, they ha they are going to take every opportunity to make their job easier, and what that ultimately means is pe pe people's rights are essentially trampled. I mean, and and so the officers when they know this 
um, they have, again, no incentive to follow the law. And so this, the video is really intended both as a way of informing the citizens of what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing, but it's also designed to in, 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 in encouraging police officers to uh, improve the way they practice their, their, their duties and their responsibilities under the law. And when both sides recognize what their duties are, what the limitations are, the whole system improves. What that means is we don't have wrongful, as many wrongful convictions. It means that juries are going to have evidence that's credible before them to, to be able to arrest a conviction on. It's going to mean that victims, whenever they um, go to the courts and they expect to get relief, that relief is going to be um, uh, distributed in the most equitable and fair way that our laws allow. And so it's, a, it's a, an improvement of the entire system, and, and I think that everybody should want that, but the only way it can happen is if the citizens actually know what their rights are. Well, and how is the legal system benefited if police can trample citizens' constitutional rights with the consent of the people? And I think that's where this DVD will really help tremendously in this regard. I mean, after all, how much value do people place on their liberties, right? Absolutely. Not, and not only that, but if you want to know what your rights are, well, first of all, you should, you should want to know what your rights are. And if you don't really care to know what your rights are, then, well, don't complain when, you know, you, you, you're the target of an of a unconstitutional investigation and prosecution and what the re- results may, may be in that case. So it, you should be concerned. And if you are, it doesn't take a whole lot of time for you to investigate and for you to understand some very basic ideas and rights that you have whenever officers initially contact you. And so the video, that's what the video that we presented, it it essentially breaks it down into very small portions uh, that are really consumable for, for anybody so that they can walk away feeling empowered to say that when they talk to an officer, they know what their rights are and they know why those rights exist. Well, and on the heels of all this, we know the debate over firearms rages and governments are obviously attempting to pass a lot of disarming the American people. And what I love about your book, and I guess what I love about what you do in general, your book, your writings, your all your information that you put out is really about empowering and equipping every Bible-believing Christian with really specific tools. And that's what I really appreciate about what you do, Tim. And also, I would love you to tell people how they can order this very timely DVD, Police Contact, How to Respond. Sure. Um, They can order it from my dad's website, uh, Chuck Baldwin. And his website is chuckbaldwinlive.com. And you'll find links on the homepage as well as... um, some probably some banner ads that you can click on and order the the DVDs from there. You can also order it on my website, which is libertydefenseleague.com, and it's a similar kind of thing. You'll find the uh, the banner ad on the homepage, and so you can just click on that, and it'll direct you to the um, page where you can actually purchase the DVD. Excellent. Well, Tim, I know you have to run. I know you're a busy guy and you're back in court. So I really thank you for taking the time over your lunch break to come on the program. Tim, God bless you for all your work and keep up the good work. Thanks so much. I I appreciate the time to talk to you and I wish you the best. Thank you, Tim. Folks, that was Tim Baldwin, constitutional lawyer and co-author of To Keep or Not to Keep Why Christians Should Not give up their guns with his dad, Chuck Baldwin. Folks, do me a personal favor. 
shoot Chuck Baldwin an email, let him know you heard him on the program today and thank him for 40 years preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ for his dedication and devotion to this incredible endeavor, the Liberty Church Movement as well, getting those churches out of the 501c3. That's huge, people. And I cannot more highly recommend the two books that Chuck wrote, Romans 13, The True Meaning of Submission, and of course, the other one of my favorites is, which I learned so much. In fact, I learned a wealth of information in both Romans 13 and To Keep or Not to Keep. Very scriptural. It's two books I really believe that every single liberty-loving Christian should have on their shelf, as well as this DVD. Folks, get a copy of this DVD and play it at your church. Give it out to friends. And finally, I just want to say... Have a very blessed Independence Day as we commemorate the adoption of the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776, which of course was the date the United States formally declared its independence from Great Britain in order to achieve freedom. Let's pay our respects to this amazing day. I thank God for all of you, and I pray God's hand of protection around you this weekend. I know there's a lot going on. There's a lot of rumors flying around. And I do pray God's divine, supernatural hedge of protection around each and every one of you. I love you all very much. Stay safe out there, folks. Good night, and God bless. From the lakes of Minnesota To the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas from sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston And New York to L.A. Where there's pride in every American heart And it's time we stand and say That I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the man Defend her still today Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land